Hi, everybody. My name is Diana Paquet, and I am the host of The Diana Show. I'm a multi-passionate creative person and an entrepreneur. I spent my career running large hair salons in both Georgia and the Southern California area. And some of my favorite memories from that time are seeing the people that worked in our salons get a little wind under their wings and start to fly. I guess that's probably where I first fell in love with self-development. I am absolutely passionate about becoming a better version of myself, and I love to watch others grow and change and chase joy. My real life is pretty incredible. Together with my husband, Thomas, I am a blended mother of five. We actually have eight total between us. So I'm an adoptive mama, a stepmama, a biological mama, a dog mama. We have teenagers and a preschooler. I know that this sounds like a complete circus, but we are actually incredibly happy and thriving. Although life is complicated and full of long days and hard work, it's also pretty amazing and super fun. So my goal with this podcast is to take you on my journey with my husband and my children as I grow and learn, but also to showcase interviews with some pretty incredible folks who help me share stories about how beautiful and complicated this life really is. I love podcasting because it's given me the chance to create this community of like-minded people and through sharing each other's stories, it's so evident how similar we really are. I love that through becoming vulnerable and talking it out, it's so obvious how much we all have in common and absolutely need and belong to each other. So I drop two episodes each week, Monday and Friday. I'd love for you to subscribe. You'll get notifications about fresh episodes, and I would love to have you as a regular listener of the show. If you have ideas for content and slash, or if you want to ever contact me, you can always find me on Instagram at ms.dianapiquet. And without further ado, on with the show. Hi, my name is Scarlett and my mom is Diana. Today we're chatting about civil rights and music history with my high school teacher, Mr. Simmons. Mr. Simmons engages the kids by teaching guitar and music history. He is passionate about telling his story and how music has helped us come together. Yes. Mr. Simmons, Mike Simmons, Simmons, he's called many things. He's said to be the busiest man at Huntington Beach High School. He's in his 13th year, we think, as a full-time teacher. He started a band with Mr. Knight back in 1996, and they started APA together in 2003. He's a founder. Did you know that? No. That's pretty cool. He's got a creative writing team together with Mr. Knight that makes waves in music education, not only by introducing pop music into the curriculum, but by integrating music with media. He was granted a degree in communications, radio and film, and fine arts from Cal State Fullerton in 93, a master's in education from Concordia University in Portland, that sounds fancy, and has extensive experience in music production and performance, graphic design, video, and various types of media technology. He brings these skills into the classroom and into all aspects of APA's image and branding. He released his first solo album of original music three or four years ago, we're not sure, called First Days of Summer, and it was well-received in all corners of the world. He expects much of his work as well of the work of his students. Do something, make something, be awesome. And if you're going to bother doing anything, do it right. You only get back what you put in. 
Okay, so we pretty much read that straight out of the playbook. Uh, Scarlett's brother, Cooper, and my son spent four years in his APA program, and we love Simmons. We think he's amazing. And Scarlett and I got to have a conversation with him, uh, which was most interesting about how he incorporates a little bit of civil rights education with his guitar class, basically. So without further ado, we're going to send you off to the show. Please enjoy Mr. Simmons. Um, yeah, well, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. So the way that this all came about for us is that Scarlett takes lots of breaks during school, obviously during COVID and she popped out and just went on and on and on about this day that you were teaching about the Lorraine and the civil rights museum and your thoughts on it. And it really has given us a lot of mileage between mother, daughter, you know, everybody in the family has talked about it around the dinner table. And I just thought it was so cool that, you know, um, you brought so much passion to it, evidently, and uh, were interested enough to tie it into your music class. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's uh, I can explain what it is, but I mean, it's that's the thing. If you go there and see that, it's definitely, you know, something you want to tell people about. And uh, that was my opportunity to do that. So so I took it. But uh, what she's talking about, ladies and gentlemen and uh, other inv- invited guests uh, is there's in, in Memphis, Tennessee, which is kind of a, other than being a ra- great place to get barbecue um, it's, it's known for um, kind of one of the main places where um, soul music came from because mm-hmm. the stacks record label was centered there in their studio Um amongst other things. And it's also ha- was a place where a lot of the civil rights leaders would um, meet up. It was just kind of one of those major cities along the way. So in Memphis, you've got the Stax uh, records and there's a museum there now that you can go see. There's also the, the blues museum. Uh, the national blues museum is there and also the national civil rights museum. So it's kind of a great uh, place to, to see some really interesting history mm-hmm. um, of both music and civil rights. And I didn't realize the, at the time, really the connection. And well, I, I figured it out as I was there, but um, when you mentioned the Lorraine, what that is, is, is there's a, the Lorraine motel, which if you've heard of that at all, is probably because that's where um, Martin Luther King was assassinated, but it also had a lot of other, you know, historical, meaning to the movement it's it's where they would sometimes that's where everyone would stay um and it's if if artists came to play or to record at stacks they usually put them up there because it was it was nearby and it was friendly like Mm -hmm. it, it you know if you were because if you were black and trying to stay in a hotel back then it you know there you couldn't just go or do anything you wanted to do um and that was uh, so that, and they knew that, and they knew that the Lorraine would be a place where it would be all right. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot, sometimes they would uh, put the artists up there and they would meet them, um, you know, the day before and hang out. They wrote a lot of songs there. Apparently I could go on and on about the details of, of stacks and everything. But the important thing to know is, but mainly because of the assassination, but I think, just other reasons, but 
that's where they decided to put the National um, Civil Rights Museum. So if you go there, aside from being able to kind of pay your respects and, and have a moment of kind of reflection on all the all that those people um, gave and and the suffering and the and the and everything that just just the work that they did is kind of memorialized there and to kind of educate you know those of us who are here now that really don't know what it was like um to live through that and 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 all the struggles that they went through to to get where we are even though we obviously aren't there yet um, we're still on our journey but mm-hmm. And I thought it was really cool how it tied into that music at the same time. And it was really a pretty neat thing to, to go there and see that. So Scarlett, I think, told me that at Stax recording studio, the, the song, the hit single, Knock on Wood, and I don't remember the name of the band. It was a, it's, it's Eddie Floyd. Yeah. Eddie Floyd. Was and was that artist. a biracial, like the first biracial band that recorded? Well, okay. I don't know. I couldn't, I wouldn't say anything uh, so like that they were the first or anything necessarily, but as it goes, there was kind of a studio, like kind of an in-house band that worked out of, out of stacks and they're famous in their own right um, for records they made on their own under the name Booker T and the MGs. Um, So that was Booker T Washington, who was an organist. Um, I just read his autobiography, which is really neat. Um, and then um, and a, a bunch of other guys. The point is that there was there was two two white guys in the band and two black guys in the band, and the, and they were really just the studio guys that got called when they needed to do a session so like for an artist. Session session recording artist right. kind of a thing, like the right. hired gun type of people. Okay, exactly. And they were just kind of on staff, and it was like, okay, we're going to bring in, you know, Otis Redding. Uh, I think. It, who I think they found him as, I think he was a janitor or something. And they they just let him sing. And somebody heard him sing and said, let's get that guy in the studio. Right. Um, Legendary singer. Yeah. And so if you listen to most of the Stax records, it's, it's usually that core band. They had another band also called the Marques, I believe that did a lot of sides there too, but that was a pretty typical um, lot of a lot of those studios. Then they would have their certain people, um, mm-hmm. But what was specifically interesting about the MGs is that they were uh, 50-50 white-black amalgamation. Mm-hmm. And um, and I know that over the course of time, and it's, it's, it's not a, it wasn't a perfect situation. And, uh, but for the time of Jim Crow, or just the tail end of that era, mm-hmm. just being seen together in public mm-hmm. doing that was potentially dangerous for all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in their own city where they lived, you know, you couldn't necessarily just go out to lunch with those, you know, in public, there were yeah, certain places. Yeah, you, yeah. There's certain places maybe that you could where no one would really notice, but it was, you know, everything they did implied risk and they could go tour Europe or, certain parts of America and everything was fine, but there was parts of the world where the, if they went on tour, it was really risky for them to be seen on stage together. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think one of the things that we had talked about and, um, and this, believe me, this isn't a really a topic I'm super you know, amped to talk about as a middle-aged white guy, 
Uh, it's really none of my business. It's not, it's not my story to tell, but I'm, I think, uh, you know, it's part of our duty to, to respect it and understand it as much as we can. Mm -hmm. Um, that, uh, I think as a musician in, in my mind, and maybe this is there's, I'm a little naive, but uh, I've never really thought of music as being something that's black music or white music. I know it's been marketed to me as such mm -hmm. my whole life. Um, even there's record stores you go to where, you know, and I realized recently that the reason I don't know as many soul records as I should has nothing to do with not knowing who the artists are. It's just that they were never marketed to me. And even when I went to go buy music at the record store, you know, most of the artists I was looking for were in the rock section. Mm -hmm. And if you had black skin, your records weren't found there. Yeah, uh, that's and, and that's still a thing. Mm -hmm. um, and at least it, it has been. I think it's going to not be a thing um, sooner or later. But I mean, that's so weird to me. And I just realized that, you know, this year. Yeah, and you're an educator and yeah. you're a musician. Yeah, and so. I have I have thousands and thousands of records. And I realized a, a friend of mine donated a, a huge collection to me, and it was almost all, you know, R and B records. He was from England. Mm -hmm. They have a very I mean, I shouldn't have to explain that they have a very different culture. Sure. They don't have the same crazy racial baggage that we do here. They do, believe me, they had their share of the they were involved in the same stuff. But they've uh, they evolved a little differently than we have here, and um, that was his normal music. You know, that was mm -hmm. his favorite thing, and he was a white dude. And he gave me this collection of records, and I realized, wow, I know all these artists. I heard the names. Some of them I'm familiar with their work, but I don't have all of their stuff. In fact, mm -hmm. a lot of them I've never seen. I'm like, I've ne I don't think I've ever seen every Diana Ross album, right? I mean, considering all the hits that she had. Um, I certainly don't own them. And, uh, and I felt kind of, th that kind of bummed me out. So, mm -hmm. uh, and, but I think as it is interesting, the things that you don't know, if you don't know, you know, and right. then you realize and you're like, Oh, yeah. Uh, wow. And yeah. I, was, I think I was telling my class and probably this is where, what got, um, Scarlett thinking about this was, I think as a musician, I've never really thought about music as having that demarcation line, even mm -hmm. though it was being sold that way. And I know that there was always white charts and black charts, you know, there would be, well, okay, right. you're a black artist. You're going to be on the R and B chart, no matter what kind of style you did, you know, you had to really obviously be a certain style to, to break away from that pattern. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, 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 and I think that's that musically, that's really the one place where it doesn't matter. I think as musicians, you know, I've had, um, I don't have a lot of exposure to, I don't have a lot of black friends. I, mm -hmm. I just don't because I live in a place where that's just, you don't, you don't have cause to meet them. But, but most of the ones that I do have or the people that I've met over the years, when, when we do music, those, those lines kind of start to dissolve a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. If I go to a trade show for music, it's a, it's a, it's a rainbow of, of folks mm -hmm. and we're all there for the same reason. Mm -hmm. um, and we, mm -hmm. and I guess my point was, and this is where it's weird is I remember hearing a story from recent years where 
someone had seen one of the concerts that we were doing where we had our kids going up and playing, you know, the Jackson five or something like that. Right. And it wasn't an issue of like, Oh, Michael Jackson supposedly did these horrible things, you know, that they're, you know, there's not as much cancel culture thrown at him for what he did as you would expect. Um, I was getting kind of, you know, attacked in a in by the woke faction for having white kids playing the jackson five on stage mm-hmm. playing that music and i was like mm-hmm. wait a wait a second that mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense to me mm-hmm. you know uh, the music is for everyone right. if you would ask the people who made it they would tell you they didn't just make it it's not i don't think it's cultural appropriation to uh play the music outside of your skin color i mean that's ridiculous I, I, I think agree. there's different, you, I, you definitely need to be respectful. You need to know where you come from. You need to know where it, the music comes from. But at the same time, I think that's one of the ways that we've all had equality when you could go buy a record um, or listen to something and love it. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think if it wasn't for music and that kind of openness, it would be even harder to, you know, it's one of the things that brings everyone together. And I think as musicians, we've always kind of felt that, that that's okay. It's the one place where we're all, you know, the same. Um, yeah. And we all should be the same all the time, you know, and I think uh, musicians get that more than most people do. Yeah, I would agree with that too. And I think, I think when you boil down, um, if you watch actual live musicians, and you know live musicians when they're not on the stage and they're such incredibly different people. You can have one that's a businessman and one that's right. an alcoholic and one who like snorts cocaine and one who's a teacher and one who's a museum curator. But then they get all on stage and they're all playing their instruments for the same song and they're all into it. It is that common thread between them that brings them together, no matter how different they really are in actual real life. Yeah. And if you want to get, if you want to get to a place where you really do feel um, that we need to be, and we need to see each other equally and nothing is going to get you there quicker than a song, whether Mm -hmm. it's feeling togetherness, oneness, or feeling the pain of the absence of that. I mean, if I hear, you know, Sam cook, it, um, it tears me all the way down mm-hmm. to the ground mm-hmm. and uh, because I associate what I know about the civil rights movement with, with, with that music. And um, you know, and it's really, a, it, it, it's really emotional. I think for it's sure. emotional for him as emotional for everyone that listens to it. And if it doesn't affect you that way, I mean, gosh, I mean, you've got yeah. some real work to do. <laughs> And the storytelling element to it too, when you act, I'm, I've always been someone who the first thing I hear isn't the bass line or the drums. I always hear the lyrics. I can always pick out the lyrics and like songs like from the Vietnam era or like um, one specifically that always gets me is the ballad of Curtis Lowe about, um, and if anybody who's listening, go listen to it. But it's just about this, this guy singing about when he was a little boy. And I totally relate to like little kids and how, they can be so fascinated by music and how 
this guy who is a black man, you know, he describes him. He's an old black man with white hair. And the, the song is basically like, you know, tune up your dobro, which is a guitar that sits on your lap. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's a dobro is just a a resonator guitar. It's this big metal thing. Yeah. Yeah, It has the big plate on it. So, but the way that the story is told through the lyrics and the song, and you can just see this little boy like stomping his feet. And then you, you have that picture painted of an older black man who's ailing and he's an alcoholic and it just like, but the music is so beautiful and the man has meaning because what he's able to do with the music. And yeah, I, so it's like kind of the storytelling of it too. And that's coming and that's coming from Leonard Skinner of all places. Yes, exactly. You know? Yeah. The same people that told Neil Young to shut up. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I think yeah, that's definitely. the same band. I don't want to be wrong. Yeah. Um, but that, yeah, it goes to show you it's, it's life's complicated. Anyway, you were saying, I'm sorry. No, life is complicated. I, well, Scarlett and I kind of like, I told you we got a lot of mileage out of the fact that I was going to get to talk to one of our teachers and we happened to be down in, um, we were in South Pasadena last night on our drive home in traffic. We started talking about questions. Um, Scarlett, do you want to hit Mr. Simmons with your question? Yeah, for sure. So you kind of touched on this when you said that you had a performance and some parents or people, you know, had told you that they didn't like what maybe their kids or their relatives were singing on stage and you couldn't really like see like why you weren't able to make sense of that. And that was basically my question to you was like, as an educator, like in the classroom, educating on these topics, such as civil rights and stuff like that, do you ever find kids that just kind of like tune you out? Like, I know this year you can't really tell because you're on Zoom, <laughs> but you know, you it seems that you do teach a lot about this stuff and you don't have to because you're a guitar teacher, but you choose to. And I was just wondering if you ever notice kids that are like, okay, my parents have told me this, I'm not listening, or, you know, I don't believe in that, whatever, or like, even maybe tell you to your face, like, right, I don't think so. You know, I'm not listening. This is this is not what I believe. And I don't have to listen to you. You know, it hasn't happened in like, it hasn't happened like that before. I, I, I mean, it's not always easy to, sometimes I'm just quickly running through it and going, yeah, this, yeah, this. And like, you know, just, and this year I've done, I've had a lot more time to kind of, you know, put more um, depth into what I'm talking about uh, because there's no one there to stop me. I don't have that. And and I just write, what I'll do is I'll write out a lot of thoughts and I'll just kind of use those as a guide and just kind of do all my spiel um, because no one's there but me. Right. Um, so it hasn't really happened, but I've gotten, I've had people kind of look at me sideways and, you know, we have this weird thing where at least, at least where we're from, you can sort of tell who, (laughs) where people might fall or where, you know, or maybe the way that they've been brought up just by the way they act or clothes that they wear, things that they say. And exactly. Yeah. And most people are pretty cool. I think right now, we're in a time where they're most likely to speak up. Um, and cause it's not, cause I don't care what you say. It's not a popular thing to 
stand up and be a racist in public. You know, at least that part of our American life is is a little squished. People usually would keep that, you know, undercover and not just flaunt it in public until recently. Um, so I haven't really had too much trouble, but I know it's always possible. So I don't really go out of my way to to harp on these things. But that's just it. Like when you're talking about music history, um, it's part of it. I mean, it's it's part of the story. And if you ignore that, you're not really understanding the context, which and, and giving context to the music is one of the only ways I can justify talking about music that's 50 or 60 years old to a to a 16 year old kid. Mm-hmm. Um, cause yeah, I mean, I don't know what you're listening to, uh, that, uh, that might be current, but there's not a whole lot for me to necessarily tell you about. I'm trying to, when I do music, when I'm ta- when I'm going over songs or choosing songs to talk about, um, it's partly me going, this song's really cool. I want to show the kids this really cool song, mm-hmm. but it's also like I, my personal, kind of mission in all this is I, I feel that if you're going to do music, that the ultimate goal of that is not just to be a parrot and play songs that you hear, you heard somewhere. It's to eventually add to the canon, to add your own thing, to be a writer and maybe contribute to the catalog. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that if you have listened to nothing but junk since the day you were born stuff that you know that disney or apple or whoever some corporate identity has custom marketed to you to make the most money which is basically what music's been for 20 years your entire life scarlet every every mainstream music longer (laughs) yeah but every mainstream thing that's ever come out in your lifetime was done as a marketing thing and not really so much as art anymore um, and that's not really anyone's fault. That's just, it's just kind of where we're at. So if I can make you like, listen to, if I can make you think about knock on wood by Eddie Floyd on Stax records for a day, that's something that you might not have heard. And that's going to, what I think that does is that puts good quality food in your diet that puts good quality gas in your tank. So if you get to the point where you're going to write a song, it comes from, like, especially melody. Um, melody and rhythm comes from what you already know, what you've already heard and absorbed into your thing. So, like, if you've heard nothing but country music your whole life, that's the music you will likely make. If you've heard nothing but hip-hop, that's the music you're going to make. So, and that, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. It's just, I think that, you know, I'm a big Beatles fan. The Beatles music they grew up on was very rich, very arranged, complicated, melodic, beautiful music. It's not my favorite music. You know what I mean? Like 40s music, maybe. Because I have watched 10 years of Beatles shows that you've put on, probably. (laughs) Yeah. So I know you love the Beatles, but are you saying it's not your favorite music and you like no, no, the 40s no. more? No, no. What I mean is the music the Beatles grew up listening to obviously wasn't oh. Beatles music. So they were, they had this backlog of hundreds and thousands of songs that they knew that were very rich in certain kind of content areas, mm-hmm. be it melody, structure, um, 
chord changes that as they started to make their own art, that stuff is, that's, you know, that's the gas in their tank. Mm -hmm. That's the medium that they're working in. And mm -hmm. as time progresses, everything changes and, and gets broader, but it's, it's at some point it's kind of like, well, you know, I think that my, like my favorite music really is, is probably from the seventies, if I've got to be honest, because that's where I started listening. Mm -hmm. um, and all that stuff is, if there wasn't a Beatles, that music wouldn't be the same, it would be different. And there right. wouldn't, and if, and the Beatles were listening to Motown and it, you know, so, and I don't really care so much about early rock necessarily personally, but if it wasn't for that, you wouldn't get though all those, everything builds on itself. And I think the kids today aren't really necessarily given the same bandwidth that my generation was given to use. I think it's, and the thing is, it's all there now. The kids are going to find it probably on their own. Any musician certainly will um, probably find it. I, I have this theory that every, um, you know, like-minded teenage boy is going to find Led Zeppelin. They don't yeah, need it. Yeah, it seems like there it. is a lot of reaching back. Yeah, they're going to find Zeppelin. They're going to find Black Sabbath or ACDC. And it's what they do with it, you know, is up to them. But, I mean, if I can give students a window into um, a lot of different cool things i'm i'm gonna make tomorrow's music hopefully a little bit better mm -hmm. a little a little bit richer so that's why i do this stuff and why we do the shows that we do and why we try to but me me educating the audience or the students about the the the, the, the context of the music is kind of my way for justifying why I'm doing it. Because otherwise they'd be like, well, Simmons, we just want to learn how to play, you know, Aerosmith. Why are you making us do, you know, stacks? Mm -hmm. well, well, it's because that's a, that's a type of feel that you haven't heard yet. And yeah. you're going to be a better player and a better human um, if you know this stuff. So that's kind of why I do it. It's, and it's why I do Beatles shows too, because even though, yeah, that's a finite thing. And, and there's nothing special about liking the Beatles are the most famous, the most popular thing in the world. And they have been since they came out and that will probably never change, but that's just it. It's a good stuff. So it is. it's good stuff. I grew up kids, on it. My yeah, mom's a huge it. fan. You've made my mother very, very happy. <laughs> well, her to come into town every, it also, it also every uh, show. the great Beatles thing is that I always tell everybody that it's not really about the music it's it's the fact that they were um, at the right place at the right time doing the mm -hmm. right thing and they were interesting mm -hmm. people and they were funny and everything they did was documented so if you start getting interested in it and geeking out on it it's like a never ending there's so much so data much information. It's yeah. like, it's constantly coming and new things are, it's still being, we're still finding new things, you know, every year um, mm -hmm. to, to digest. And I, and I find that really fascinating and really fun. So, you know, if I can get a few kids to get on in on that fun, it's, it's kind of like my musical uh, mission, my, my, my evangelism. Yeah. It's how you preach. Yeah, and, and and that's cool. I don't expect them all to to go home and you know and stop listening to whatever other thing, but you know it's going to turn them on. And the thing is, kids don't listen to what you say necessarily. They 
they get it. It's kind of in the back of their mind. And the moment will come someday, maybe. Yeah, it's kind of like you're planting seeds. That yes, will exactly. Be and then they'll look back and think and, and, I've and seen have it that happen. foundation. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I've seen good. it happen, too. I've seen it happen from your students over the years. Um, I owned and ran a salon downtown uh, for, I think, a decade or so. And wow. I had a lot of clients who had kids who went through your program. And that's how I found out, you know, when Cooper was just a little guy, like a fourth grader, I found out about that music program and we started kind of preparing for it. And he, um, you know, seeing, and, and I'll be honest with you. And I know Cooper, you're probably going to hear this. I'd never felt like he took advantage of the program. Like he could have, I just felt like there was so much dropped in the kid's lap through that program. <laughs> and, you know, it, 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 and I was the same way when I went to college, when I went to high school, I mean, my parents watched me complain about my kids and they're like, yep. And you are a slack ass as well. Right. And my yep, mom said the same thing to me. Yeah. So it's almost like I want to live vicariously and like, okay, you don't want to go, you go work. I'm going to go over there and learn something new, but yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> I feel the same way, but yeah, that's just part of being a teenager. It's, it's it is tough. part of it for sure. But, but I do think, like you said, that they end up getting like this foundation that is dropped. And the the thing that really like kind of sparked my interest was that I love that you were tying in something about, um, you know, the struggle that a lot of people and they're not very well represented in our area. I think it's like we have like one percent is uh, African-American people in this town is right. what the census was last year. So. I think it is so good. It's not the fault of the kids that lived here or live here. Um, like you said, you have very few black friends it's because you just don't come across a lot of them here, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't still be in the know of what happened in the know of what's happening and a part of, you know, making, making a difference, opening people's eyes, having a conversation about it. And that's, yeah. that's something that I really think is important and, um, pretty amazing about what you're doing in your class yeah and and the whole subject of white allyship is um super complicated really messy as yes. you probably know yes. and it's not even something i am comfortable discussing at all and it's just uh it's you know we're going to be struggling with this for probably the rest of our lives and it's and, and, and i know it's not uh everyone some people will be like well it's not my fault i didn't do it i grew up thinking that too it's like well i didn't do this thing i didn't mm -hmm. personally do it but mm -hmm. you but you benefit from it in in every way possible mm -hmm. uh, in ways that we don't even see um yeah. and i think that just waking up to you know seeing your privilege whenever you know wherever and whenever it is mm -hmm. you know that's uh, something we have to to deal with, and um, we can't really expect anyone to feel sorry for us when we do. No, uh, I don't think so either. And I think part of it is like you know, I'm I'm going to be fifty this fall, and I lived in the South for I lived in Athens, Georgia, huge music town for ten or twelve years, and um, very different uh, group diversity yeah. wise there, and. It's very easy to live in Huntington Beach and say, well, I didn't do that. And also, by the way, I volunteer. And also, I don't raise my children to be racist. But at the same time, when you look at uh, like what was going on with our protests downtown this summer, it's very easy to see um, 
but there aren't enough white allies that are standing up and holding up a sign and saying, hey, no, that's not what we don't have enough black people here. We don't have enough diversity here. But that doesn't mean we agree uh, that yeah. you shouldn't be coming into our town because you should and you should be welcome. And that was probably the first step for me. And I felt super awkward about it because I'm an old lady standing down there with a bunch of kids and holding a sign. But I do feel like it's my place as a mom, as an example, as a business owner in this town, as somebody who, you know, I feel like I'm a leader to whoever's watching me, that it is important to open your mouth and say, hey, I'm not going to be perfect at it. I'm not going to always have the right thing to say. I don't know all the statistics, but I just know in my heart that it's not right, right. and things need to change. I, I don't have all the answers, but we need to talk about it. Yeah, and this transcends politics. And I think the problem right now is that somehow, you know, it's like it's it's a political issue. I mean, it is to some degree, but it shouldn't be. And I think um, you ask anyone point blank to their face, you know, they're going to say, yeah, no, every, everyone's the same. Everyone should have the same rights. And it's but, you know, but then they go do things that contradict that. And you shouldn't have to feel, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you went and did that. I'd probably go to more, I'd probably would have been in all the protests too, but I'm, I'm so old and fat. I can't physically do anything. Um, but I wanted to go, believe me. Um, the spirit was willing. Spirit. Um, yeah, but you know, and that's not an excuse either. No, it's not that it's, a, there's a lot of ways to put a hand up and say, Hey, I am just speaking up for this. And I think that the way that you do it, talking to kids, I would really encourage that because I think that's, an, you know, you probably have a bigger influence on my children than I have on my children right now. If we're being honest, that's just the way of raising teenagers. <sighs> and I don't, I don't, uh, and it's not really my place to talk about some of those subjects. Um, and I understand that too. And I wouldn't want anyone thinking that like, you know, I have some bully pulpit or anything, but I, no. you know, I think th I don't think it's a political issue. I think it's a human issue. Um, and I, you know, and I, I'd fall on my sword for that. I think it's, uh, it's important, it's, especially if, if you really believe in America mm -hmm. and what we, what we supposedly stand for. There's no room for racism in the America that I was brought up to believe existed, even mm -hmm. though it was kind of a lie. Mm -hmm. We were told that, no, no, really everybody, everything's, everybody's uh, got an equal stake in this and we need to make true. We need to make that a truth. We do need yeah. to make that a truth. And I think one of the things that's super eye opening is if you take, for instance, I've got a, a black girlfriend who's my age. If you trace back just four generations, um, I could trace back to my parents, the Beatles lovers, the Beatles lovers, um, who were born in the 50s. Yeah. And they were able to buy property um, after Vietnam era in certain areas. There was no redlining. Her parents, not so much. Right. You know, and you go a generation. Happens. You go a generation back, my grandfather, who was an Italian, um, and he, you know, he had a little racism thrown his way, but he could get jobs. He was able to work and pass on money to my parents who were able to buy a house. And you go a generation back from that, which was, which was my great grandmother, born in the 1800s. And I knew her. She lived until I was 13. 
in the 1800s, my girlfriend, when she traced her great grandmother back, there were no high schools for black kids in the 1800s. So she not only could they not write, they could they didn't learn to read and write, they couldn't write down their history. So she doesn't even have like I have journals from my Grammy Hackett, who was my great grandmother born in the 1800s. There's so many things that didn't end up getting passed down to my girlfriend, who's the same age that I got, including generational wealth. So when you, right. you do a little side by side comparison, and if you can find a friend who, you know, is of color and can like gently like lead you through some of that, you see, oh, yeah, there's a lot of things that I got access to that have made my life a hell of a lot more comfortable, have made me more confident and yeah. made my life different. And it still happens. I mean, I, happens, I, I, yeah. I still, you know, benefit from the his my family's history. Mm-hmm. You know, when my and grandma that passed mean away, you're I a got, bad person. You know? That doesn't mean you're a bad person. That just means it's so good to be able to admit that and be like, yeah, this is true. Yeah, and we should we should be able to uh, at least at least stand up and and do something about it or say something about it. I I don't know. Uh, <laughs> what were you going to say about your grandmother? Oh, you know, my grandmother passed recently and, um, you know, and that meant, you know, oh, like, you know, some property or whatever was coming mm-hmm. my way. And I, and I'm like, well, you know, that's yet another massive privilege. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is in my family, but I didn't, I didn't make it. I didn't earn it. I didn't do it. And it's, and the, and the promise of that has always kind of been there. It's like this little safety blanket. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, especially around here, they all live in that bubble. They can think, well, I, I need to go to work now. I need to go do my job so I can pay the bills. But they also, a lot of us have, you know, we have family safety. Mm-hmm. And not everybody has that. Um, not. That's a huge privilege. Mm-hmm. And just the fact that I was able to get into the college, you know, I didn't go to anywhere fancy, but I was able to do it. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to go on my knees to get um, funding or fill out a bunch of paperwork. You know, I didn't go to a fancy school or anything, but I still was able to do it. If I, if, if I would have gotten too busy, you know, and decided I'm going to quit my doinky little, you know, job <laughs> in my little minimum wage job because school's too hard. I was able to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want yeah, a gap? Parental support. Yeah, I mean, I I was it wasn't easy, and <laughs> I I got yeah. a lot of flack for it. But I mean, a lot of there's a lot of folks in the world that just don't have any of those opportunities. Right. So you have to really, you know, be thankful and aware that you know you may have opportunities that other people don't, mm-hmm. and uh, you can't really. I've always tried to explain to my even my own family. I go, well, you know, just just if you just try to think of what it would be like to be in that person's shoes, if that's the least you can do, mm-hmm. then, you know, you're, that's something. And, and most folks just, they won't even, they don't even bother to do that. Um, and that's disturbing to me, but, you know, hopefully in this new batch of kids coming up, they've been taught better. They, they're more empathetic. They understand that, they understand things like this and the, the outcome of this last couple years of crazy, uh, I think is going to, it's going to help. It's going to go a long way. It's going to, it's going to be a lot more progressive than we realize. but you know, 
on the other hand, there's always the other side of the coin because there's still people in every generation that don't see it. Yeah, there definitely are. Uh, yeah. So we'll yeah, see. And I think that's the only thing you they, you know, what, what they see. So that's why it keeps happening is because these people that don't see it teach what they see and they're teaching other people to not see it. If that makes sense. So that's why it's still like this. And yeah. probably, you know, we, we can work towards it, but that's why it, I would say most likely will never be 100% perfect. Is, yeah. You know, that reason is because of people teaching what they believe in their opinions. Yeah. And there, it's too easy now to just go find an echo chamber and, and go <laughs> and go have some, some nutcase tell you exactly what you, what, what affirms the mm -hmm. nut, the nutty ideas that you have mm -hmm. and the cats out of the bag there, you know, it's going to be really hard to uh, come back from that. Probably not able to come back from it, but all, we can hope. Yeah, I do. I, I do like the way the kids are now. I always, one of my funny things I've noticed is that at least in our school, we don't have peer pressure anymore. And, and what, at least not the kind that we see on a day to day. And I don't mean in the, the bad way that you were, you would be thinking like peer pressure to doing bad things. I mean, the peer pressure that it takes to compete and do and push yourself to be better that's where I think the kids are lacking. Like I do, we do these music shows and the kids will come in and they don't really know their, they don't really know their material. And the, 10 years ago, if you came into a rehearsal and didn't know your song, the other kids would, you know, they might not say anything right then and there, but down the way they'd rip you to shreds and say, dude, learn your stuff. You embarrassed me in there. Mm -hmm. um, and these kids are so nice to each other that they don't do that anymore. And so it's very hard for us to get, to get the quality up. It's like, uh, you guys go do your work or like, you know, think about right now when the kid's not really engaging in, in education because they can just turn their camera off and go wash dishes or whatever it is there, go, go back to bed, which I know is happening mm -hmm. every day. Um, but without the other kids saying, look, bro, you know, it's, it's what I always say. You're only going to get out of this situation what you're willing to put into it. You've got to invest in the situation you're in if you want to get something out. Um, yeah, absolutely. And they need to understand. And it's hard for any teenager to ever really get that. But without other teenagers turning that light on, it's really difficult. So that's the one thing I hope for the future is that the kids will pull – each other together and they do i mean they are definitely doing it for social causes i think um definitely i just need them to uh take their schoolwork a little bit more seriously <laughs> isn't that what we all wish for yeah if you think about me and me listening in class <laughs> that means that there must be a few others at yeah, least <laughs> that's and, and so, that's, that's encouraging and thank you parents and their younger siblings and then their younger siblings tell their friends and their cousins and it, that's well, what you're doing you know you're not I just guess, teaching your class of 30 kids you're teaching everybody that comes with that wow well i guess i had a good day uh <laughs> and may, let's hope there's been other good days as well i guess the numbers are in my favor right Yes, well, definitely. Awesome. I really appreciate that. And it means a lot. Thank you.
Well, we appreciate all you do, Mr. Simmons. Should I call you Simmons or Mr. Simmons? I don't care. You don't care. <laughs> okay. I'm used to it all now. Uh